It's time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Thrivology Podcast, and right now we are in the middle of talking about parenting. If you were with me last week, you know that I talked about those turtles, and today I want to talk a little bit about, more about kind of human nature, but also just kind of the animal kingdom and how that relates to us, especially in the parenting arena, because there's this weird thing that we sometimes don't notice about parenting that puts us in the same category as everything else that parents. So, you know, if you're thinking about how animals learn, let's talk about that a little bit today because I want to challenge something. And that is this idea of, in psychology that believed in the blank slate theory. You might remember that blank slate theory that believed that kids came out kind of blank, right? They're waiting for an imprint, that they come to us a clean slate, just waiting for the information download. And I've been pretty convinced, you know, I remember that in in college, going through psychology and hearing about this clean slate theory about kids, and it never really fit because I was about eight years old when my uh, youngest brother was born, and I just remember he wasn't a clean slate when he came into the world, and I knew other people with kids, and they didn't seem to be. But the icing on the cake is watching my kids come into the world and realizing that part of the personality pieces that I saw from day one are still true, even as they're in their early 20s. And so I recognize that part of what that we come into the world is already encoded. We already have some pieces in our DNA and our, and our brain development that are created and cemented in our personality. And so part of our task in in our lives is to figure out how to make our personality pieces work for us. Unfortunately, a lot of times we learn ways that early on they seem to work for us, but then they get us in trouble down the road. And so the task for each individual is to figure out how to make the pieces that that we bring into the world, the pieces that make our psyche, that make our personality, that make our body, that all of those pieces, how do we make them work best for us? Which means that the role of a parent is to begin the process of making sure a child is making the best use of what they come into the world. So the proof of the blank slate theory being completely wrong is if you had a child, you know the fact that they came in pre-wired. They came in already functioning. In fact, I'm pretty convinced that whoever it was that came out with this theory had to have had no children and no exposure to children. They had to have been academics who had locked themselves away and just came up with this idea that we're clean slates coming into the world. And probably it's a good thing we're not those clean slates because we need starting points. We need ways of creating the world around us. So let's talk a little bit about one of my favorite subjects, resilience. Resilience research goes back a number of years. In fact, it goes back into the 1950s when a lot of the researchers descended upon Hawaii. Now, why did they choose Hawaii? Well, at at least at that point, it wasn't because it had all kinds of great resorts and they were enjoying their lives. It was because Hawaii was a very closed culture. There was not a lot of ways of getting in and out of the islands. And so the families that were there had in some ways been affected by culture. 
had in some ways been affected by Western culture, and yet they were kind of self-insulated places, which meant that it was a great place to study uh, groups of people. And because at that point there was a still already a strong relationship with America, it seemed an easy place for researchers to go. At that point, you know, it had been brought into the, the governance of the, the country, and there were a lot of things that were going on in a very negative uh, place. And so in Hawaii, there was a, a lot of addictions, alcoholism. There was a lot of domestic violence, and there were a lot of uh, unwed pregnancies. All the favorite research points for people who want to figure out how these are caused in cultures. Now, you probably already know that part of the way that was caused in culture was the way that the Hawaiian culture was being affected by the Western world. But in comes America to do their research. In come the researchers to do their research, the sociologists and the psychologists. And they began to study the families that had these issues. And they found the reasons for these problems. A lot of hopelessness, a lot of unemployment, a lot of poverty. And so in the midst of all of that, you know, you might say, well, they discovered exactly what you would expect they would discover, that a lot of our addiction issues and domestic violence issues and uh, unwed pregnancies come out of difficult situations where people are struggling and are at their wit's end. Then there is another piece that suddenly another group of researchers noticed, and that was the fact that there were some kids who were exposed to the same stressors who developed into normal adults, well-functioning adults that didn't get pregnant early on, didn't uh, have issues with domestic violence, didn't suffer from addiction. And so finally, some researchers said, huh, I wonder why this group is insulated from the effects when these other people are not. And for me, that was the pivotal point of the research. Because we, we can kind of guess at why the down issues are there in our society, why the problems are there in our society. But the real question is, how do you help people avoid it when those situations are all around us? So part of what they found in the resilience is part of what began to be the core of how we build resilient people. And today I want to talk about one important factor in that. But before I do, I want you to think a little bit about your own parenting, the parenting of your kids, and how much you feel you have an influence with your kids. I don't know what age your child is. I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you either have children or grandchildren or at least are, are thinking about kids and, and want to, to figure out the best way of parenting. So I'm making that assumption, and I want you to think about how much you feel like you have an influence in that child's life. As I've talked with people, I've noticed that a lot of parents feel like they have very little influence, especially as kids begin to hit that middle school and high school level. Parents realize that as kids get older, their peers play a bigger and bigger role. And that has led parents to believe that they have a smaller and smaller role and that their kids aren't listening to them, their kids aren't watching them, their kids don't care about their opinion. So there's a little research that shows that that is absolutely not true. When kids are asked, even as teenagers, 
what the most influential and important person is in their life, the majority choose parent. Sit on that for a minute. Think about that. Even while you think that child who is rolling their eyes at you and looking at the smartphone and ignoring and seeming to go in the exact opposite direction as you would like, recognize that those same kids, those same teenagers, are reporting that the most important relationship in their life is the one with their parents. If that shocks you, I want you to, to realize that that's a very clear research point. There, there's, we're not trying to guess that. It's not a slight bit. It's a vast majority of kids reporting that. So now let's back up to Hawaii. One of the core places that they realize of why a child might be more resilient, how they might get to adulthood, well-functioning adulthood, in the midst of, of the same crises that seem to create problems for others. And they found that there was one essential piece. There were several, but one essential piece I want to talk about today, and that is that they had a significant relationship with an adult. Somewhere they had found an adult, a healthy adult, who created a healthy relationship with them. It might have been a parent, could have been a teacher, a mentor, a coach, someone in a religious profession, someone around them, child friend, a friend's parent, or someone, extended family, a grandparent, aunt, uncle, somebody out there gave them a healthy connection with an adult. That was one of the most important factors. In fact, one of the things I've discovered is I've interviewed many people who prove themselves resilient in getting themselves through difficult situations, and they told me about how they sought out an adult. A lot of them came from broken families and uh, disturbed families and mentally ill families and addicted families and all kinds of, of disruptive family atmospheres. And to a person... They told me about how they found, sometimes they intentionally went out and found, but sometimes, you know, it was in in the course of their day. They found a coach, they found a teacher, they found a minister, they found somebody who gave them a relationship, some adult who reached out. Maybe they reached out to the adult, but somewhere along the way, they found a relationship. Now, as a parent, we can focus on being that person. We can focus on being that important person in our kid's life. That's what you're here for, is to figure out how to be that. And so part of what I want you to hear is how important that is. That relationship is a critical part of making it into adulthood in healthy ways, which is a relief if you're in the midst of struggling with that, of watching kids rolling their eyes and wanting to watch their smartphones and be with their friends and do everything else that feels to a parent like you're failing. And to recognize this, they are still looking for that mentor relationship with a parent. So that brings in a couple of pieces that are very important. The first one is it reminds us to prioritize that relationship to remember that even if they're rolling their eyes and act like they don't want to be with you, that there is something to be had from that. The second thing is to recognize that when kids are rebelling, they are proving the connection they have with you. Think about that for a minute. I was talking with a, a kid who was out to prove to his parents that no matter what they said, you know, he did the exact opposite. 
If they wanted him to uh, tuck in a shirt, he untucked it. If they wanted him to wear sneakers, he wanted to wear you know another kind of shoe. And it didn't matter what it was, he was going the exact opposite. If they wanted him to be with one friend, he would choose another friend. Everything was the exact opposite. And the parents had told me how exasperated they were that they were always wrong and they obviously had no influence. And he told me the same thing. I never listened to my parents. I said, you know, it's interesting you tell me that because in reality, you're responding. You're reacting to your parents. Whatever they say, somehow you're pushing against it. Whenever you're rebelling, all you're demonstrating is the connection. When kids don't feel the need to rebel, then they have moved to a different place. But rebellion is about connection. So remember that the next time you're struggling and feeling like you're completely left out, that there is still a connection there. And then there's a third point that I want to make, and this is the big one. Our kids are watching us. That's how they learn. If that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. But if that doesn't give you some hope, I don't know what will. If you notice in the whole animal kingdom, animals learn how to be whatever animal they are by watching the parent. Bears learn to be bears by watching the adult bears. Tigers learn to be tigers by watching the adult tigers and lions, the same thing, and antelope and deer and everything. I mean, if you start looking around, pretty much the warm-blooded mammal creatures that tend to be the, the ones that are, are, are not on the, you know, you got to raise yourself, but that have parental influence. The parents are teaching the young ones how to behave. That doesn't mean that they're a blank slate in nature either. If you've ever gone to pick out a puppy, you know that even as little puppies, they have their own individual personalities. But they're being taught how to be dogs by the mamas and the daddies there. They, they learn from watching. Now, to take that in for a minute, recognize that part of what we as humans believe is that somehow we can tell a child something... <laughs> And they won't notice what we're doing. And so one of the biggest lessons I've noticed in teaching kids to be resilient is to be aware of what you're doing that that child is learning from. I had a parent who came to me because their child kept cheating on their work at school. No matter what they did, their child was cheating. Now, let me be very clear that children choose their behavior still. And so I never blame the behavior of a child on the parent. But I will tell you that when that child was talking to me, the child told me about how around the dinner table, the parents were talking about cheating on their taxes and cheating their employer and cheating in different areas of their lives. That was the lesson that was carried over to a child. And what they all told me is, you know, my parents will tell me not to cheat, but I hear about their actions. And that speaks a lot louder. If the phrase, our actions always speak louder than our words, has ever run true, it's in parenting because that's how young creatures learn mostly. 
They learn from watching and observing, and they are watching and observing us from a very young age. Are we acting in resilient ways? Are we dealing with stress in our lives in an appropriate way? Are we dealing with things that are important in our lives in appropriate ways? Are we having conversations in appropriate ways? Are we having conflicts in appropriate ways? Because our children are watching and learning. Today, in three coaching sessions... I had three people tell me about their lack of a model of a good marriage and how they, even though they didn't mean to, had replicated the marriage they saw in their household. Which makes sense because what other marriage have they ever seen other than that one in their household? So part of what creates resilience is when a parent is teaching resilience by living out resilience. When a parent is teaching thriving skills by living out the thriving uh, skills in their own lives. So what are your kids learning as they're observing you? That's a humbling thought, in my opinion, for how we all behave. What are you teaching your kids just by observation as they're going through their daily life? What are the lessons they're gleaning from you and what lessons would you like them to glean Here's a little exercise for you to sit down and write this. What do you hope for your child? Now, I'm not talking about the specific education you would want for them or the career you would want for them. In fact, I would encourage you to move way beyond that because I will tell you how many children I've talked to and adults who felt forced into where they went to school and what they became. Instead of finding their own path, they were living out their parents' expectations and hopes and dreams of what they would become. So I'm not talking about that. But what kind of character do you want in your child? How do you want your child to deal with the world, with with their peers, with people who are in superior and inferior positions from them? How do you want them to deal with taking care of possessions, of, of being good stewards of the world? How do you want them to move forward. So that's the first step in the exercise. What do you hope for your child in building character and who they are? The second is to ask the question, are you helping them learn the skills necessary for that? Are you helping them learn how to move forward? Let me give you an example. I watched as one child was constantly falling apart, falling to pieces every time there was anything uh, of a struggle. And the parents were concerned about what that would mean down the road. They began to think that their child was always going to be a quitter or a fusser, one or the other or both. And then I began to hear the stories from this child about how the parents kept intervening at school and other places, always convinced that the world was treating their child unfairly. And the kids were, this child was taking in the lesson that the world is unfair to them. So why not quit? Why not fuss? And so while the parents told me that what they hoped for was a child who would be strong and and stand on their own two feet and take care of of things and and really have a a go-get-em attitude, what they were teaching was quite the opposite. So the first question is, what do you want in the character of your child? And the second is, what are you doing to teach that? And what are you doing that might undermine that teaching? How do you model that piece in your own life? 
We all need support. And one of the things I've recognized is this is a fundamental foundational thing for children who are going to be resilient. They need support both in the good times and the bad times, but they don't necessarily need the kind of protection that some parents give, nor do they need the models uh, that we sometimes give to our kids accidentally, where we say we want them to be one way, but we in our own lives are acting quite the opposite. And so the challenge this week is to look at who you bring into the parenting relationship in your own place, your own character, your own actions. Are you modeling what you want out of your child? Or do you find yourself perhaps undermining those lessons in the way you live your life, in the way you act in the world? The challenge for all of us is to build thriving into our own lives and teach those skills to our kids. If, if you wonder how to build those thriving skills, let me suggest, I'm a little biased by my own book, but um, the Thrive Principles are 15 strategies for how you can build a thriving life for yourself. But here's a little secret. They're skills that you can teach to your child as you live them out in your own life. You can let them see you deal with life in thriving ways. If you're interested in that book, Thrive Principles, you can learn more at thethriveprinciples.com, thethriveprinciples.com, or just go to where you normally buy your books and uh, buy it there. It's in bookstores. It's online. I would invite you to grab that and begin to take in those skills so that they get passed on to the next generation. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build a thriving life to pass on to the next generation. You've been listening to the Thriveology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Thank you.